Master Kenobi. Come to the tower. We will negotiate terms for surrender. Well, that was easy. Zygerian scum! I'll handle that slaver. Anakin, he asked for me. I need you to locate the missing Togruta colonists. Fine. I'll have Admiral Yularen initiate a planetary bioscan. Why is he so upset? Anakin has never talked about his past, has he? Only to tell me he won't talk about it. There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge, where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado, and in Denver, Colorado, is the Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. This is true. This is the sound of my voice. How's it going, Mothershed? It is going very well. Now that you're back in Colorado, you are moving from Daniel back to Mothershed. I there's noticed. A, there there yeah. was a conversion that has taken place in my head, apparently. <laughs> well, hey, guess what? In good news, we're starting a new arc. All right. I am really excited to hear your thoughts about this because for many of our listeners, actually, I bet you you know nothing about this arc. This isn't one of those things that you will see uh, on the YouTubes getting spoiled. It's, it's not important in the way that some of the moves you know, in the Clone Wars that we're going to see coming up are important. But I find it really helpful in grounding some of our characters and really showcasing their relationships, and that's why we put it in the binge. Absolutely. The principal thing here, especially since we are skipping Attack of the Clones, is we're going to have to give Anakin some motive. And that's that's going to be essential to uh, the storytelling. One of the things I didn't realize until I rewatched this uh, arc, is how much they push into the death of Anakin's mother in that film. But that's not how the Clone Wars animated goes. No. They are going to push into slavery and post-traumatic stress there. And obviously, Anakin cares about his mom, but there's something else going on here that I think they are exactly right to elevate. Like like from, from touchdown feet on the ground, he's... he's- <laughs> talking about and thinking about his own experiences, and, and that's totally coloring how he looks at everything else happening on this planet. Yeah, exactly. Slavery gets a lot of treatment in film, and it's not just American slavery. You got movies like Ben-Hur and Spartacus, Gladiator. Yeah. Do you have any movies that are about enslaved persons finding freedom that really uh, connect with you. Yeah, you know, I do. Um, my first instinct was to try to think of non-American, like, kind of like you said, non-American-based movies about slavery. And without Googling, the only thing I really thought of was the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Yeah, and then sort of by, by proxy, what I think is a better film, The Prince of Egypt. I love The Prince of Egypt. Oh, my God, me too. Just, just gorgeous. Steven Schwartz's music yeah. and, and, and all that just... And I, there's a couple of scenes in that movie that I think really show someone being made aware of how horrifying slavery is and how dehumanizing it is. Yeah. And 
Uh, there's the scene where Moses goes and looks at all the hieroglyphs and sees the the killing of all these Hebrew children, and yeah. you know they're his people, and he's horrified and and having this very emotional moment. And his father, his adopted father, who is the Pharaoh, voiced by Patrick Stewart, you know, tells him like, well, they were only slaves. And yeah. there's there's just this long moment of silence afterwards, and. Um, yeah, just just some beautiful beautiful moments and imagery of, of wrestling with humanity versus property, yeah. and and how it's just so ingrained in the Egyptians' mind of like no 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 these, these aren't people this is property. Yeah, um, the the struggle and freedom in that. I mean, I think that's right. Like you want to talk about <laughs> the good things about movies about slavery are usually that you get to see people win the freedom that they deserve. Mm-hmm. So obviously that one has. Uh, depending on how religious you want to get with it or just how like humanist you want to get with it. Like either way, very, very good things. Actually on the humanist side, that was one of the things I really appreciated about that movie. And obviously I've, I've done work, you know, in ministry, but it's the brotherhood in that movie that really is most appealing to me. And that's, it humanizes the event and makes it much more emotional. Not so black hat, white hat, um, animation style of that movie is also fantastic and joseph fines is a rock star ray fines ray fines sorry joseph and ray are brothers but yeah ray fines is is king ramses in in the prince of egypt is ray fines the the one in uh shakespeare in love no that's joseph that's just i see i'm getting those backwards okay uh ray fines is schindler's list schindler's list yeah. uh um yeah he's voldemort in, he's in everything <laughs> I just watched a I just watched a really great production of Richard the Third that someone filmed that huh? got professionally filmed where he's Richard the Third and and holy crap it's incredible. Wow. Um, that guy's very talented. He's got a whole career ahead of him. <laughs> yeah. What was your other one? My other one, and I've talked about this before, is Django Unchained. Sure. I think that's a great movie. Obviously a problematic movie, but but a great movie because it shows somebody who's been released from slavery going back into that world to free other people. Yeah. That is going to be important in this story that we're looking at. It's not just the escape from slavery, which is an important story to tell. Interesting to me is the person who has escaped, and now they're wrestling emotionally with what has happened to them. And that's taking place in Django. Um, I'm saying that wrong. In Django. There's a great line where he says, the D is silent, hillbilly. <laughs> uh, I'm going to bring that back up. The movie that kind of off the beaten path that hit me as a story of an enslaved person was Aladdin. And being the Robin Williams fan oh, that you oh. are, uh, yeah. I was looking through a list and then that one popped up and I was like, oh, of course. Yeah. It's the side story in some ways, but it's still very much part of how that story plays out. I mean, it's it's the entire motivation for the genie. Yep. So so while it's a, while it's a side story, it's <laughs> you know the genie is the most I'm going to say memorable character from that film. Absolutely. So his 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 quest saying I'm going to go along with this because you've promised to free me. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember the main character's name in Aladdin. Um, it's it's Jafar. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I love these sorts of movies. Uh, three of my top ten movies, uh, Amistad, Lincoln, in the recent Mad Max film, all about enslaved people. And yeah. Taking taking those themes from different ways. Well, I suppose Lincoln and Amistad are both kind of legal courtroom kind of movies, but 
just love the hell out of Mad Max Fury Road. Boss, we're not going to gas town. Bullet file. We're heading east. I'll pass it down the line. I was shocked how much I enjoyed that movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't love the other ones. Mm-hmm. But that one, oh my lord, that one was so good. I think I went and saw it three times. Yeah. I think one of them was with you, I'm pretty sure. Was but it? The other two, yeah, the other two I think were on my own. I listened to that soundtrack nonstop for a year. I just love, just love it. Well, another fan favorite, movies on enslaved people, is uh, Star Wars. The primary villain is an enslaved man. Yeah. The whole of Star Wars may be summed up in just saying this is the story of the liberation of Anakin Skywalker. In fact, the proverb that starts this episode goes down that road. (laughs) I didn't think about it at all before watching this. And then after I watched it, I was like, okay, what did I gotta write down the pro- uh. Oh, <laughs> the proverb for this episode is where we're going always reflects where we've come from. And that might describe the villain, but that definitely describes the future of Anakin Skywalker, who is wrestling with his enslaved past. <sighs> yeah. I, I, re- I read that and just thought, oh man, that's uh, like so many fantasy science fiction space stories i i read that and just thought about how it parallels real life but i didn't even think about specifically with anakin like he ends up right back where we found him oh oh perhaps this is a place at least for the creators now to put a little footnote here would be some of the shakespearean element to star wars that is finding its way in or at least the greek tragedy side he stole from those so it's okay (laughs) he's a thief just like Aladdin. Oh my God. <laughs> That's why Hamlet is also the Lion King. <laughs> well, the narrator starts this off and he says, A planet of peace. The artisan colony of the planet Kiros created a society without weapons. Instead of war, they pursued art and beauty. But in the Clone Wars, even peace-loving worlds are seemingly forced to change sides. This has only imagery of the planet. There's no flashbacks like there normally are during the narrator. But I was watching the director's commentary, and as they were talking about this people group, there's a line in the next episode in which Palpatine says, Long absent empire has been built upon the backs of slaves. To carry on this tradition, we will require millions. And... The director speculated that this is the sort of people, these are the sorts of people who would be responsible for creating imperial propaganda. And then they showed, the the editor of the video that I was watching actually showed the Palpatine statue being ripped down at the end of Return of the Jedi, which I never realized was there. Is there... Same. Maybe somebody added that in, in it. I need to go back and look. It, I I don't think it's I think it's been added in there later. I don't think it was in I don't think it was originally in there. Yeah. Like the versions that you know we all watched probably in in theaters or on the in my family's case the gold VHS uh, uh, set uh, box. Yeah. I don't remember that being in there, but it very well might have been added. It's during that. I'll have to go watch the Disney Plus version. I don't know. It's during that fireworks scene 
that yeah uh, so there you go yeah it is the case i just uh, it's fun to see at points where you're stumbling upon oh they changed that too i just didn't realize it like yoda they replaced yoda in episode one uh the old the older looking cgi with a, a refreshed cgi and i was I was watching it the other well, he day. Was a, I was like, "Oh, <laughs> he, well, he was a he was a puppet in the theatrical release. Oh, is that right? Episode one, and he looks strange. Yeah, like like he like the the puppet they use in the original films yeah. is so great because it's the Henson Company and it's Frank Oz, but um, the like quote younger Yoda yeah. puppet they try to use in in Phantom Menace like is a little too shiny and a little too green like it, like it looks like like we made it you know what I mean like somebody made their sure. own Yoda puppet and you're like this is not quite movie quality it's these actors getting plastic surgery and trying to play their younger selves i mean it just never works well, and it's particularly men, it's like men who get pla- male actors who get plastic surgery. Like some people can get away with a little bit, but like this. And this is not my joke. This is this is the brilliant Martin Short's uh, joke. But uh, Martin Short once said, "Men that get plastic surgery never look good because no one ever goes, who's that well-rested thirty-two-year-old?' All they say is, who's the fifty-year-old burn victim?' Oh, horrible! <laughs> That's so very funny." Let's talk about Kiros here. This is not the original homeworld of Togrudas like Ahsoka and Shakti. Kiros is a colonized planet. It has uh, a lot of Native American, I thought, architecture. Um, real similar, in my mind, to what you see at the museum in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you've, ever, if you've been to the... I've seen pictures. I've never, I, haven't, I have not yet been to... Um... Because that's one of the newer ones, uh-huh. yeah, the newer museums. It's, I have not gotten to go there It's yet. extraordinary. It's super, oh, like, gosh, I'll bet. Uh, all the newer museums, but that one in particular is really incredible. But these taller structures that are based on the the lines of native uh, architecture, you know, and these just, uh, that's what just kind of hit me. I don't know if you had any thoughts on, on just this planet. No, same, same. The one of the last things I did in Chicago before I moved back here was go to the Field Museum, and they have a whole wing that's on ancient slash early Americans mm-hmm. wing of you know people who were here before colonization. Yeah, and there's all these like they have sort of restored and reproduced homes and big columns and pillars and clothes and yeah. That was what it was evoking to me when I watched it. I was like, it was like uh, putting me right back at the museum. I'm like, yeah, I love this. Boom. Got some Santa Fe in there as well. I, I, I mean, it may have just been some of the blues, but it, it struck me as they're kind of pulling from those sorts of images. One of the directors said that the, the lines were meant to mimic or represent the mantras of the Tigridas, and that's kind of what you see. Clearly very intentional design and artwork and, yeah. and clearly very meticulous, thoughtful. Um, and not just slapping something down. Yeah. Gorgeous stuff. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. As much as I love it, like you watch old Warner Brothers cartoons mm-hmm. and there's times and they're reusing backgrounds and doing whatever because it it's like, right. meh, we have the cells, which which is great. And those cartoons are wonderful. But um, yeah, this is just, it's so intentional. It's artwork. It's people who care about the universe and they maybe they know someday these characters you know may be seen in film and our stuff is going to be the foundation for what they're building on yeah that would be interesting to talk to any of those people and and say did you think 
Did you think some of these people would be done in these live action films? Like, yeah. did you ever think? I know Katie Sackhoff just posted something on Instagram saying that, like, I remember going in to voice Bo Katan for the first time, and like, now here we are doing this. I mean, yeah, it's just, you never know. Felt to me, I don't know if you've ever watched the makings of The Lord of the Rings, but those guys just oh, yeah. go nuts with some of the intricacies of the species that they're they're looking at or even the the weaponry and the just doubt of the set dressings yeah. down to these like minute little details that might not even show up on screen but they're just yeah. they're in there because they know and i think they probably know that there's going to be the types of fans that will pause it and look yeah. so it's just the the meticulous care and devotion to the worlds makes all the difference the armor maker for theoden apparently did the interior all perfectly and with all the lettering and and such and essentially said when this actor is putting this on i want them to feel the authenticity and i mean there that's that's some next level stuff well and you know speaking as a sometimes actor i I think i remember that That, that's that's part of that year you said you didn't remember but anybody who did (laughs) anybody who used to get in front of people and say words we we don't do that anymore (laughs) um but that's a that's a hugely helpful thing yeah like like the clothes specifically the clothes of what you're putting on uh, does more work i think sometimes than anything else uh, just to build on this for just a second, this is the first story that was actually taken from a comic book and put into the Clone Wars. Oh. So the Clone Wars was rolling, and then one of the uh, writers began doing work for Marvel, I believe, and was doing the Clone Wars, you know, these other stories that weren't in these cartoons. Well, they took one of those stories. They said, this one's great. We really should add this because of what it brings to the character specifically of Anakin and some of, I hadn't thought about this, but like one of the big things is that in this arc, one of the other Jedis becomes an enslaved person and he hasn't had that experience in his past, Yeah, but he does now. And now there's more of a relationship that we both know what it's like to have our freedom stripped from us. I thought, I thought that was real, real clever. But the second thing was they, they looked at his, his, uh, you know, the work in the in the comics and said, we love all of this, but it looks too much like this other city, so we're going to make something new. <laughs> <laughs> what city did they say that it looked like? I've already forgotten, but like it was, it was, it just, it looked a little too similar. And actually hearing Filoni was talking about the Zygerians, he said a lot of times in science fiction, the villains in particular look humanoid and then they just have really funky hairstyles or a couple things plastered to their face. And we really wanted to go weird ears five steps beyond that because it's animation, you know? Yeah. And so it is the case that the, the faces of the Zygarians are really exaggerated in some spaces, especially the henchmen. The henchmen have like very elongated looks. I thought that was all just worthwhile. Lots of fun stuff there. The queen looks pretty human-like, but everything, everybody else. Yeah. Of course, I guess we don't technically see her until the next episode, so pretend I didn't say that. And, and that's actually what they said as well, Oh, is that they, they, they sought to bring the queen a couple steps back because there needed to be a romantic relationship, um, or at least a somewhat attraction. You can't be... Yeah, a flirty relationship. Yeah. So. yeah if it was Jabba the Hutt, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to shame anybody. There's 
Somebody for everybody, including Java. But what's that? What's that singer's name who like is on stilts? It's like she's the singer, and at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, she's blue and she's got the lips that stick way out. Oh, oh, oh! She's not on stilts. She just got really long legs. Size yeah. noodles is her name. That's it. <laughs> yeah, there's. I didn't. Even, I didn't even have to think to pull that name out. <laughs> that that was there. I think they had a thing for each other, or at least she uh, in the Zero the Hut. Uh, in the next episode, after the one we just covered, uh, Zero the Hut and Sice Newells actually oh, no. are trying to escape together. She <laughs> she is part of uh, their their lovers. Anyway, can't wait. Are we? I can't wait till we do that deep dive. We we, we are skipping that. But what? <laughs> eventually, we'll we'll cover. <laughs> we'll talk about the highlights of season three at some point, and we'll get a chance to say, "Hey, what did you think about that?" Uh, that Zero the Hut episode. You know, just just to tangentially mention Zero the Hut and everything else, the the, the Cad Bane character who frees uh, Zero uh-huh. the Hut to to bring it back to talking about Django Unchained. I've I've spent a couple of days thinking about who should play him in the live action yeah. in the Boba Fett series, and it's the actor Walton Goggins who is in Django oh. Unchained, and and just, he he's such a skinny, sure, odd, very talented guy. Well, as many of you good people may remember, I was a hateful man. So I was looking at it, I was like, oh my God, he he should be that guy. He was in Justified, plays a bunch of great Western villains already. Like, he would be perfect. Love it. You heard it here first. I imagine they'll keep the voice actor whose name is escaping me. Corey Burton. That was yeah, it. Because he does Count Dooku as well. That's what we talked about. Yeah, I suppose those uh, the makings of are often on YouTube's. But uh, you can find them on the Blu-ray set if you ever want to pony say, up. for the Blu-rays, people. Come on. <laughs> the the That Blu-ray set is really impressive and, and a joy to to use. So I, I found myself, I love the Lord of the Rings, but I've, I find myself going to those making of specials mm-hmm. almost more than I go to the films because yeah. there's just something I love about seeing seeing it all come together. Well, Kiros is in the expansion region, which is actually close to the center of the galaxy. I know nothing about the etymology here, but I assume it's the case that things started in the center, and then they said, well, let's go to the expansion region, not realizing that there was then going to be the middle region and the outer rim and, you know, deep space and, or what was it, uh, extra galactic space. Yes. One of the more important battles of the Clone Wars is going to take place on Umbara. And I'm, I I feel like I reference this nearly every episode, and I need to stop, but it's going to take place in this region of the galaxy. And one of my favorite lines from Rookies, we talked about this, where they have, uh, like, Rebel Force Radio. They have the, the whatever it is, the, the radio station that's kicking the Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Grand Army of the Republic broadcast, the voice of the Outer Rim. This next one goes out to the mutt jumpers of the 224th. Slugging it out on Mimbam. Keep your heads down and your seals tight, boys. Well, Mimbam is a planet in the expansion region. And the only reason I throw this in is because, Daniel, we're going to figure out how to make the geography of this galaxy makes sense by the end. There's something Is here. Is that true? There's something here. Well, <laughs> I want that to be true, but I feel like that is not going to happen. It's so hard. Well, just so you know, Mimbam and Kiros, where we're at here, 
They're in the expansion region, which is kind of just outside the middle. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Here would be something worth <laughs> noting geographically. So the separatists want to control this space as well as the people. But it's really, they're, they're going to take over the space. They are physically, if we note where they are in the galaxy itself, they are much closer to the center of the galaxy and Coruscant than in anything else that we have covered so far. So there is a slow progression inward. And obviously by the time of Revenge of the Sith, they will be having a battle over Coruscant. Right. If we, if we elevate that World War II imagery, you could imagine this planet being like an Okinawa or an Iwo Jima. It's like, it's not Japan yet. You haven't been able to have that battle yet. But you're, you're, you're getting closer and you're setting up spaces. Nah, I thought that was a worthwhile way to think about well, it. Well, and as they slowly takes over everything, mm-hmm. I mean, to, to keep your World War II imagery, that's annexing Poland, that's taking over France, that's, you know, just that slow, like, hi, yeah. uh, we've shown up because we want this and we're going to take it and you don't really have a choice, yeah. so put my hand on your shoulder <laughs> very forcefully. Uh, this is ours now. That's the introductory scene, isn't it? To World War II or to this episode? I believe it might be to both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oppression and slavery in general, I guess. Right? It does feel like Count Dooku here, we'll talk about this in a second, is real confident and Yoda is not. Yeah, I agree. Yoda almost feels distracted. He felt distracted to me. Like he was thinking about something else. <laughs> so this was just kind of like, oh yeah, this is troubling, but... I don't really have the energy in mind for this. It, it felt like he was being pulled somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Spread out pretty thin. That makes sense. Uh, last note here from the narration is that the narrator describes this as a planet of peace. It's one of those planets that doesn't want to get involved. They're doing their thing. Just let us be neutral. And yet they're pulled in. Uh, hard moral issues there. If you are saying... Life isn't about violence and domination. We simply want to create the things we want to create, not get involved. And yet, what do you do in situations like this? Yeah, this one feels like you're forced to get involved, you know, as opposed to even something happening where you then make the choice to go be involved. This one is like you've made the choice to not be involved and then got dragged into being involved. Yeah, and even even worse, you like very negative consequences could happen to you and your people tough yeah and for that sort of culture and their disposition what do you do there i I find that since you know i'm an aggressive pacifist and i find that sort of question really challenging sure like uh what what do i do in this situation so we're beginning and we're in the throne room on the planet of kiros and we see the governor rashti and he is speaking to a hologram of yoda and rashti says the simple truth is there is not a warrior among us master yoda an armed conflict will destroy us we will negotiate with count dooku if we are able and yoda says trust dooku you cannot send help i will i'm afraid it is too late the separatists have already arrived We're rolling. I mean, that's just real quick. <laughs> yeah, r- right out of the gate. <laughs> we see these very large separatist ships descending 
These are landing ships, and they're carrying hundreds of droids and Count Dooku and his entourage and tanks and all the rest. And we see Dooku descending a ramp and being met by Rashti. Anything, anything we're saying here? Uh, so we're going to leave Yoda behind here now, but anything we're saying about just that intro? No, not I don't think so. I mean, it's just it, it, it's pretty straightforward. Like just it happened. It happened so quick. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, again, just it's fascism. <laughs> ha ha ha. Well, Rashti comes out. Count Dooku, we have chosen to remain neutral in this war. Why have you launched this invasion against us? Dooku, real polite guy coming down the ramp. Think of our presence as a peaceful occupation. For your protection as well as ours. I have heard the tragic stories of worlds caught between your droids and their clones. What of my people? While I am helpless to prevent the fighting... Clearly he is. He's in charge of one of the armies. (laughs) I can offer your people sanctuary. A safe haven until the conflict has ended. And then, it's real subtle, Barashti moves to dismiss this gesture. Thank you, Count. Yours is a kind offer, but... And Dooku puts his hand on Rashi's arm, as you said, leads him to the side. I insist. Yeah, just just so sinister. Leverage. It's like, it happens that quick. Dooku's not asking permission. <laughs> oh, no, he's telling. <laughs> this isn't a conversation. This is what it looks like when... Everything you care about gets pulled from your hands, and the people you care about are going to be hurt. It's a powerful person telling someone he thinks he is superior to. Yeah. This is what's going to happen, and you're going to cooperate. Again, you know. This is how this is going to go, my friend. And we understand a little bit more about how badly this is going to go when Dooku's companion behind him says, Round up the citizens. All of them. Roger, roger. This is Darts Dinar. He is a Zygarian slave trader. We will, uh, we're going to talk extensively about the Zygarians next time, but any thoughts on him just to, to start us out? There's always that character, right? We, we've talked about these slave movies, and, and there's always like the jailer or sort of the head like slave auctioneer type character or, or even to mention Walton Goggins, like I did a minute ago in, in Django Unchained, he, he works at the house and it's his job to like order about and, and discipline slaves. So he just seems like a very, we've seen this character a lot yeah. and, and he's, he's, uh, I mean, I was going to say he's not a human being obviously cause he's an alien, <laughs> but just in the sense of like, there's no empathy or compassion or kindness in this guy. It's he's a businessman and his business is trading and devaluing lives. Yeah. Thinking on here, he is that basic boring villain who's a bully who does have an angle. He does have a foothold that makes him dangerous and a real threat. But he is gonna get moved to the side for a more interesting villain. And that's going to be the real test of our heroes, as it were. Yeah. Here, it's just kind of set up. Let's set everything up with the bully, and just and make him kind of weird and eccentric, and you know, yep. Give him some, give him some nutty animals. Yep. But he does have enough to deceive the Jedi. Here, he's you know a clear threat. And here we see this long scene of droids collecting the inhabitants of 
Kiros because they are going to be put into his custody. And it's a, and a good four kids, heartbreaking kind of scene. Yep. Cut to the Republic starships above Kiros, and we see Obi-Wan and Anakin, and there is a clone on the radio. All clear, sir. There are no Separatist craft in the system. It's been 10 rotations since Master Yoda's transmission. I just hope we're not too late. Rex, take us down. Yes, sir. I don't know that we've talked about this, but 10 rotations is obviously just 10 days. So we're a little, little less than two weeks out from the conversation that Yoda had with uh, Rashti. Mm. And so that's, so that's why uh, so much of the planet and what we're going to see is slightly different. Okay, I had wondered. Uh, that didn't really occur to me. I was like, did this happen this quickly? Right. That makes more sense. But here we go. There's an invasion. We see space cruisers unloading gunships and armored vehicles. They're descending to Kiros's surface, and Anakin and Ahsoka descend from the transport onto this World War II-style cycle with a sidecar. Yeah. Very, felt very Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade to me a little bit. I'm sure it's the case that those existed before Last Crusade, but they sure are the Last Crusade motorcycle now. <laughs> it's all I think of, yeah. Where his dad's sitting in it holding his umbrella and then he slaps him in the face. Stop. We're going the wrong way. We have to get to Berlin. Brody's this way. My diary's in Berlin. We don't need the diary, Dad. Marcus has the map. There is more in the diary than just the map. Yep. <laughs> Obi-Wan and Rex have the same vehicle. We see some of the 501st clones descend in what are called ATRTs. These are frog-like walkers that stand about 10 feet tall. I thought those were awesome. They are wonderful to watch. We, I think we've talked before, or, or we'll talk soon, or we'll talk again about how we just get to see different types or different variations of these ships yeah. smaller versions bigger versions and they feel like the 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 to slang term it chicken walkers we yeah. see in return of the jedi or or, or even um the mandalorian yep. it, it feels like the smaller uh tricycle version of those <laughs> and it was just so cool super swift yeah. like they just i just really thought it was neat real clever design yeah so i i have a very small Star Wars toy collection, but I, 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 watching this, I was like, I'm gonna look for those. They, they're going for almost nothing on the eBay. So, oh yeah, listener out there, if you're into these, <laughs> there's a few. Snatch them up. So the forces are assembled. There's about 20 speeders. There's three Jedi. It's a bunch of high-ranking soldiers, and you know, 40 elite 501st, and a handful of them are on those six-legged tanks. They're not messing around here. Mm -mm. This is apparently a priority, even though Yoda feels like, man, I got to send people to help this planet. Mm. A couple of things that hit me. One, it's, it's actually not very common for Ahsoka, Rex, Anakin, and Kenobi to all be fighting. Be together. Yeah. Um, so there's some, again, the, the, some of the elite have shown up. Uh, second, we might... I, I went into this thinking this is Ahsoka's arc. Oh, this is the first time that we've seen her people. And we're going to learn a lot about her and her backstory. And maybe there's some origin going on here. This this whole arc is about Anakin. We do. I think we do observe some really interesting things about Ahsoka. Yep. 
that I found very fun to 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 watch. We'll definitely hit it. But yeah, not not anything not anything in terms of like learning backstory. But we get to see her do some stuff where you're like, oh, yep. oh, awesome. And that's and that's it. One of the reasons I was thrilled to put this in is some of the Ahsoka action scenes are really well done here. Yes. And you know, longtime listeners of this podcast know that some of those scenes are are my favorite of all Star Wars. Right out of the the gate here, it's it's high quality, and and just some good. I think there's some good fun like moments of humor with her and Anakin. Yeah, yeah. In this one that 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 I that I enjoy, and not not a big fan usually of Anakin's uh, ban- banter, as it were, uh, with people that he quote cares about, but but. There are some good moments in this episode for me. I really want to talk to you about those because I also think those are really important. And another reason why this arc matters Mm -hmm. in in a 40-hour binge when you're cutting so much. Those are real important, I think, to the overall story. The last thing that hit me was that this feels like U.S. soldiers going through the streets of Iraq. Mm. Um, They have very low, somber music playing as they descend. And they're on a patrol. You know, they're going through streets and just, you know, like a caravan of U.S. military in Iraq, they might get hit at any point in time by, you know, an improvised explosive, by sniper fire. You never know what's coming around the corner. And even though they're real confident, that's that's certainly there. And Rex knows it because Rex is going to say some stuff about what he's afraid of, which doesn't come out of Rex's mouth very often. No, not at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. It seems like if, if you're if you're in that uh, if you're in that situation with him and he's saying that, I feel like you kind of start to like look over your shoulder. It again shows that Dooku has power in this arc, or at least at this point in time, that the Jedi are now in a spot where they're having to react to the separatists yeah and that and that should tell you a lot about how this war is going yeah not great so like i said we hear very light military music ahsoka says anybody else think it's too quiet i haven't seen any colonists they're probably hiding let's hope they stay hidden it makes our job easier if we don't have to worry about them in battle i don't like it the clankers have never been shy about using civvies as living shields i'm sure they're here somewhere Let's make for the city center. There, there's actually a lot going on there in terms of here's their motives, fears, and perspective. It, it, it makes me think of those kinds of tension or anticipation building moments in, in movies where you know at the end of the hallway or at the end of the, the, end of the path, there's going to be something. Yeah. The my personal favorite one is the movie Alien, right? Mm-hmm. Where anytime they walk down a corridor of that ship, everybody's talking about like being ready for whatever's about to happen because it's not if it's just, it's when yeah. when is the inevitable thing going to happen yeah. and, and just and what is that going to look like and and how will we fare? How will it be done? How will it whatever? I think uh, it's quick, but it's done very well. A couple things that hit me just in the reread is Ahsoka is addressing her people as colonists there's connection between she and other Tegrudans, but not a ton i don't feel, i mean i feel like there's some we'll talk about this in the last episode i think her family is here her family is these specifically these three men yeah well and i was gonna say she's been she's been separated yeah so long from from 
everybody that sh- that looks like her. It just strikes me. There's a disconnection there. Uh, Anakin. I'm sure they're here somewhere. He's wrong. And actually, a lot of the action is going to be based on wrong information or assumptions from Anakin throughout this episode. Huh. Imagine that. <laughs> and then again, Rex is concerned about civilian life. Says a lot about his the quality of his character. Truth. As I mean, we've 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 talked extensively about how admirable of a character uh, Captain Rex is. There's another moral dilemma in war, right there. Is you know, just because you go into battle with a weapon doesn't mean that you're not gonna have to make moral choices again. What do you do when civilians are used as shields? Rex knows this from firsthand experience, apparently, yeah. and that's hard. You know. I can't say too much about this, but like I had a student who came back and had a horrid story of having to make choices and wrestling through that afterwards, just crushing. And you're like, brother, <laughs> let's let's order another beer. I'm going to give you a hug. And right. And I, I and sometimes you just don't know what to say to somebody. But sometimes that's that's the situation you're in. And. I don't know. I think it's valuable that that's in Rex's vocabulary here. Yeah, a lot of a lot of compassion. Mm. Well, they're moving the action along. We come around a corner and we see eight commando droids, and they're on bikes and they're head right toward it. Biker droids, dead ahead. Squad, tighten up. Form on me. Two squads fly at one another while firing. Ahsoka stands up and ignites her sabers, and she's blocking bolts. And I would love to pause here for two seconds. We haven't seen Ahsoka for seven episodes in the binge. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, the minute she stands up and and ignites us, I was like, oh, yeah, I've missed you. (laughs) Last time, she is actually much younger. We... We last time she was in the bench, she was on Geonosis. She only had a single lightsaber. Here, I love this element of the bench, and I don't know, this is just how it would flow if you're watching it. She's gonna jump up, and all of a sudden, she's got two, and she is in command. And she has a heroic look. And just watching this, I was really curious does she remind you of anybody, you know, any other? characters in in film that have this kind of posture heart facade as much as the sequel was such a thunderous piece of garbage there's some wonder woman there just that oh sure that instant willingness to jump into battle Mm -hmm. and do what's right both wonder woman in the in the film as she's played very well i think by um Gal Gadot. Uh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And and but even in the comic books, like there's just the, these very like strong stances of of power and uh, defense. I haven't put that together, but there is something here of the Trinity. I always we've talked about this occasionally that uh, seeing Anakin as a Batman kind of character uh, lost his parents, mm-hmm. um, uses fear and intim- weaponizes fear and intimidation. Yeah, has real issues that are driving how he fights this war it's like if if batman never if bruce wayne slash batman never figured out how to control his fear and use it on other people and let it destroy himself i I think that's exactly right and and i don't think that it's a stretch to say that kenobi has an idealistic superman side to him you know i mean you could go there if you wanted to just do the full three characters 
um, I don't know if you got into those kind of, you know, Trinity comics of the oh yeah of course the dc stuff but yeah the comics and some of the cartoons over the years yeah. where, where everybody teams up yeah i don't know that stuff is great yeah. anyway i like that i like her as a wonder woman character i had another superhero in mind she felt more like uh, a miss she felt like a mystique kind of character she's come into her powers she's you know has experience and confidence is physically still kind of young in those most recent films oh yes <laughs> I never think about those because I just I hate I can't stand Jennifer Lawrence's performance uh, in those movies. But well, there you go. <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Mystique is a wonderful badass character, uh, and and uh, there's some great comics featuring. Just her. had high hopes for how that was going to go. I think I feel like she's kind of been wasted in both adaptations, both the Rebecca Romaine Stamos Mystique and the Jennifer Lawrence Mystique are just very like. Look how attractive this naked blue lady sure. is. And then, like, every once in a while she'll do something, and then that's it. I'm like, way to waste an amazing character. Yeah. I hear you. Looking forward to this next season in a lot of these tentpole films where we're moving away from male directors to female directors who are able to bring mm-hmm. out. So I, I think we're going to. Is Black Widow directed by a female? I want to say it was. Kate Shortland. Yeah. I saw a post on Twitter that was just showing how the marketing for Avengers utilized the Black Widow and how the marketing for the upcoming film is. And one is clearly more of a, here's the sexual object of our team, and, and this other one is not. This other one is, I, she's a oh, yeah. military spy. That poster, those that run of posters they dropped for for Black Widow, but yeah, particularly the one of her. I that that was my first thought. I was like, she looks like such a badass. Yeah. Like th- that is a that is a soldier. Like just the weapons and the 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 cool outfit, the comic very uh, that particular white suit mm-hmm. that she has in in the con- like. Just I agree with what you said about the the less male. Yeah, n- not as much, and hopefully. At some point, none of the the just kind of gross male gaze that you get. I, I think particularly even with something like, I love Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. I think that's mm-hmm. that's one of the best comic character live live creations in a really long time. And just looking at how they uh, marketed, but not only costumed and used Harley in something like Suicide Squad, the 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 David Ayer film, where it's just very. Yeah male gazy yeah. versus what they did with her in birds of prey. Um, agreed also directed by, uh, Kathy Yan, who did such a killer job. Uh, she's able to sort of be feminine and, and whatever, but also isn't, isn't just there to be looked at. Yep. Like she's just still a really cool character. And I think so we just need more of that in the comic book world. Exactly. <laughs> On the flip side, we went from wonder woman directed by, uh, a woman to, you know, when they did Justice League, I checked out of Justice League almost from the beginning, and I remember the moment. It was when Wonder Woman does uh, like a sidekick, and it's an up the skirt kind of view, and I was like, "Same." And I have, I think Gal Gadot is a beautiful woman. I knew from that moment that this was going to be a trash film; that it just wasn't going to hit. It's like, oh, okay, that you're trying to get leverage here. You don't know how to engage this material enough to give me something else than this. Yeah. And it, and it's hard because those are, 
that was that was just an example of people doing ridiculous things with characters that deserved better, right? Like yeah. I had a I had a Twitter interaction with a with a theater maker that I really respect, where where we talked about it, and, and and one of his final comments were, in those situations, you can't. It's not fair to blame the characters. You blame the director and you blame the writer. That's exactly right. Like those characters deserve better. Love creativity and ambition. I really like Zack Snyder's first two movies. And I think you have kind of an, I don't know if it's an impossible task, but I need to rewatch his version of Justice League. I don't think I have a a strong opinion. There's so much I like in Man of Steel and in Batman vs. Superman. And I know that I'm kind of on the, I'm in the minority there, but. Both of their moms were named Martha. (laughs) And apparently, if you know somebody who's got the same name as your mom, that'll stop a horrid blood feud. So here's the thing, though. I love DC, have grown up on DC. That never occurred to me once. And so in that in that moment, just assuming it's the case that I've never put the Martha and the Martha together, when that happened, it was like, oh, like I actually <laughs> I actually felt that. So I get how now it's like one of those you know, the Martha and the Martha are the same. <laughs> but at the at the time it worked for me. Anyway. <laughs> we, we could set the DC universe aside for a minute though. <laughs> There's some good stuff in there. Like so I, like I said, I thought stuff. I thought Birds of Prey was really great. Yeah. Um I really enjoyed Shaz- uh, Shazam. Thought it was really fun. Well, I mean Dark Knight is the standard. You know, there's good stuff in DC. Yeah. Apparently the Joker has some potential. <laughs> you know, I mean we could probably As a character or the specifically the, the I was re- referencing the recent movie, but um, I mean they just need they need to know what they have. Watchmen was phenomenal. The the recent HBO show, yes, it was. Holy cow! So they they just got you can't marvel up the DC universe. You got to go dark, and you got to yeah. love the darkness if you're going to go there. So. They have bright outfits because it's so dark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and yeah, Marvel's put in the time and put in the work. The DC film universe has not. Yeah. And that's it. Who was the the clown who was the head of the treasury uh, for the last four years? See, this is something that's also escaping me. But he's the executive producer. He's the executive producer on all those. Um, Like, that's the sort of person... Who's overseeing yeah. this stuff? Mansion, Munchen. Oh, D- M- Mnuchin. Mnuchin. Thank you, Steve. Steve was overseeing these. That guy sucks. It's just how that goes. So anyway, um, wait. Steve Mnuchin is he's the executive producer of Justice League. Oh my god! See, it, that's all you need to know, right? I'm not, I'm not wrong. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> so my brain had to shut down for a minute. <laughs> Well, Anakin cuts one of those bikes in half, and the cycles pass each other, kind of like a medieval joust, but the commando droids flip quick and start hauling after our heroes, and they begin firing, and then Ahsoka's pod flips around, shoots backwards. Didn't know that that would happen. (laughs) Nope. Caught me off guard. Badass. And... When one of the droids gets too close to Ahsoka, she just jumps off the speeder, decapitates it, jumps right back onto her cycle. <laughs> and we realize, okay, she uh, has a little bit of confidence. Yeah. 
<laughs> a little bit, yeah. Still humble, though. She says, we're all clear, Master. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's still a team player. And we cut ahead to a platoon of droids, and they're guarding the city square, which is where we heard the Jedi wanted to go. And the Jedi round the corner, and they begin taking them out. And the Separatist tank turns its guns on the Jedi, and we see Rex, his five-year-old self, just rises up in his heart, and he says, ah, I get to use the bazooka. Because <laughs> who doesn't want to fire a bazooka? Not high on my to-do list, but <laughs> sure. Well, he pulls the trigger, destroys the tank. Ahsoka springs from her pod with two grenades. Very Spider-Man-esque movement again as she lands on the tank. Yeah, there, there are lots of, I think, when I think of Spider-Man, I think of um, very almost like acrobatic. Yeah movements those acrobatic arcs where she's flinging at a distance and yet yeah like there's a there's a there's a gymnast quality to to her movement exactly throws those bombs inside the tank springs back on her bike bang bang very professional and she just looks back satisfied kenobi says to rex captain have your men secure the area and we move forward in time and the square is now safeguarded by four or five tactical enforcers and a few dozen clones. Obi-Wan looks over. There's uh, one of the clones on those walkers comes by. He says, how are we doing, Boyle? We're still mopping up clankers here and there, sir. We've established a perimeter around the governor's tower. No one gets out without a fight. Good work. And we actually met Boyle on Geonosis with his partner, Waxer. They're the ones who rescue Kenobi from... Uh, from the from his downed spacecraft. Oh yeah, and I highlight that just because they're kind of a pair, Boyle and Waxer. If you watch some of the other episodes, and Waxer in particular becomes a very important character in in some future stories. So I just want to yeah, yeah, yeah put those names in out in the out in the world. Right. Also, fun fact: Boyle rocks the Hulk Hogan horseshoe mustache under that helmet. Wouldn't know it, but it's there. There's got to be at least one guy that's got like a Fu Manchu mustache. <laughs> In real life, it's my dad. But <laughs> Right. I didn't think about that. <laughs> so we call that the Tom. But yeah, the Hulk Hogan is good too. <laughs> the Don Mattingly, man. The nice thing is we can talk about it. He'll never, my father will never listen to this. So we can talk about it all we want. Well, everyone says, Cody, any word from the Separatist commander? He's barricaded inside. His name is Darts Dinar. He sent you a message, sir. And then we see Dinar in hologram form. Master Kenobi, come to the tower. We will negotiate terms for surrender. Well, that was easy. He didn't say whose surrender. <laughs> Obi-Wan making assumptions here. But then we see the hologram suddenly pulled from Cody's hand and a very upset Anakin Skywalker moves into frame and crushes it in his hand. Zygerian scum. I'll handle that slaver. And there is going to be lots of character moments here in response to Anakin's anger. We already know that Anakin's angry. Mm -hmm. But it's how the other characters, on second watch, it's how the other characters are going to relate to Anakin's anger that I found really interesting. And I'll pitch their lines. I'd, I'd love your thoughts. 
Ahsoka looks concerned and as though this is something she's never seen before. This is some unexpected side to somebody that she clearly cares about. Kenobi has seen this before and is going to quickly move to de-escalate. Anakin, he asked for me. I need you to locate the missing Togruta colonists. Fine. I'll have Admiral Yularen initiate a planetary bioscan. Let me take your anger. And whoop, here's a bird. You know, it's 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 like I'm not going to address this. I'm not gonna push into to the issues that you're working through right now. I'm gonna simply give you another job. Maybe you can use that energy in a productive way over here. Well, it's another job that's connected to something that's important to him, right? It's like you're going to go find these other people who who are potentially headed towards the same life you were trapped into. So yeah. let's take some of this anger. This, this I'm going to say, and, and, and you, people who listen to this know, I, I am never, ever uh, slow to, to uh, say that Anakin is hasty and impetuous and whatever. But I think this is a moment where you can say, let's take some of this justified anger, justified uh, hating having been enslaved, and justified hatred of people who would enslave other living beings, because that is reprehensible. Let's, let's shift it and you go prevent other people from falling into the same fate. So I actually think, and again, I'm also not... Uh, slow to to call out Obi Wan's missteps, but I feel like th I feel like that's a really smart move on his part, and maybe I'm reading into it, but it could be. I think there. I think this is perhaps a short term gain, long term loss kind of situation, especially if they get a chance to have downtime later, where we really need to do some therapy, pal. <laughs> Fun thing as I was watching the director's uh, commentary on this. One of them started joking in exactly the way that you do when talking about Anakin. <laughs> and it was of the sort that he also knows that that's who this character is. He said, we can't end this episode with Anakin happy and well adjusted. And he started laughing. And I was like, oh, they realize. <laughs> and I, I got a great Filoni quote for the end of this episode that's that's worth going down even further down that path. But the show creators... Obviously, they know, and uh, and we have to wrestle with that. Absolutely. Well, Anakin leaves, and this outburst is not missed on Ahsoka. She says, Why is he so upset? Anakin has never talked about his past, has he? Only to tell me he won't talk about it. You want to talk about what that says about the emotional health of both our hero and his brother his older brother his best friend i think it says that he's unhealthy yeah. obviously I, th I think he's unhealthy and afraid because you know i think i think the reason you don't share heavy things with people is because you're afraid of the heavy things yeah and and what what steering into them maybe means and what you have to start unpacking mm -hmm. one of my favorite Movies I've saw recently, I've I, it's it's an older movie now, but uh, it's a Ryan Johnson movie. Star Wars director is uh, Looper. Did you see Looper? Oh yes, I did. But it's it's I saw it when it came out, and I haven't seen it since. Exceedingly powerful character in this in this movie who does not have the maturity to handle the power 
makes it a, a real interesting tale. And that's what we have here. Mm-hmm. You have nuclear energy in this young man, and it will blow everything up if you don't handle it right. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like he he's kept all this stuff to himself that he's dealing with and wants to, and wants to work on. And because he's not told anybody else, he him like rushing off to be impulsive mm-hmm. and chase down these demons that he's got puts everybody else in danger. Yeah, there's another side sharing, you know, and and, and just in like a in a less high stakes sense, right? Like working through traumatic depressing things is easier if you talk to people whether it's a therapist or even on on the like short-term side friends and people that you really care about because suddenly you're not carrying the thing alone and you're not going to get hurt and you're not going to hurt somebody else and and because he either is unable to or won't do that everybody who cares about him gets just gets the crap kicked out of them in one way or the other yep go to therapy friends that's all we're saying (laughs) It's okay to talk to people. Obi-Wan says, As a child, Anakin and his mother were sold into slavery by the Hutt clans. Oh. And these Zygerians, they're slavers. Anakin has struggled to put his past behind him. (sighs) Don't worry. I'll keep an eye on him. Yes. Make sure you do. And again... I think this is really interesting because it's real similar to the conversation we see in the Siege of Mandalore with Obi-Wan mm-hmm. outsourcing his responsibilities and his relationship to Ahsoka who may not be able to speak into those spaces the way that a, a more of a father figure might. Yeah. Yeah, they're just those weird Obi-Wan Kenobi moments where it's like, what, man, you are so afraid of feelings. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> And again, it's like we, we, you know, I said Anakin not being willing to do this has disastrous consequences. Obi Wan Kenobi's just intentional, willful desire to not have a yep. conversation with somebody is destructive. Teaches them lots about battle and strategy as a teacher because he is he's obviously Anakin's teacher and teaches him nothing about how to be an emotionally healthy person. And maybe that's because, as you're saying, Obi-Wan is not an emotionally healthy not, person. He is not an emotionally healthy person. That James Bond persona is just a just a cover. Yeah. Who knew that James Bond was an emotionally unhealthy person? <laughs> I love what they did with Daniel Craig on the alcoholic front with that character. Just me. I love those Daniel Craig James Bond movies, man. I I know there's people that kind of hate on him, but I think he is a great James Bond. I agree. He's not Sean Connery, but he's great. One of the crazy ironies of life that Sean Connery and Alex Trebek died on the same day or the same week. It was they were just right there. I that's true. It just because the tributes were so easy to just show those those videos that they inspired. Well, 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 Trebek, fancy seeing you here. It's been a while. Not long enough. That's not what your mother said last night. Japan US relations. I have no idea what that category is doing up there. I had relations this morning, Trebek. Hope we didn't wake you. Your mother's a screamer. 
for your information, my mother is in a nursing home in Alberta, Canada. Oh, she was nursing it all right. <laughs> you oh. have led a horrifying oh. life. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that this uh, engagement shows is, is how protective Ahsoka is for her teacher, and that will be a major part of, of their arc, their story. Because you may you may know that something bad happens to Anakin, and she's going to have to respond to that. And so, what does that look like? Yes, the, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> because this is the point in the binge where we get to see this and talk about it, we need to talk about Anakin and slavery. Primary truth about this character. It's one of the very first things that comes out of his mouth when speaking to Padme in the first episode. You're a slave? I'm a person, and my name is Anakin. And that's his story. That's going to be his story. That's what the proverb at the beginning kind of said, you know, in terms of what was it, where we're going, always reflects where we've come from. Yeah. And you just, yeah, I mean, just so much of, of our adult lives end up being defined by, yeah, you know, the issues that we were wrestling with when we were, when we were 12. <laughs> yep, that's, that is... <laughs> That's very true. Well, if we're going to get into Star Wars, then Anakin's enslavement is a huge part of that. It's showcased here. Uh, in the road is showcased here. A lot of Anakin's anger and fear. You know, it's not a stretch to say that Star Wars is the story of Anakin's salvation from slavery. So, any, I mean, any primary thoughts there? <sighs> I I just, I guess I've never really... I should have, but I never really thought about it in the sense that he starts out as a slave and then, yeah, ends up in this indentured servitude role. And I wonder if it's almost like a that's that's all he's ever known. So mm -hmm. there's a uh, there's a um, I'd say comfort in that, but there is like a there is a like familiarity sure. and even like stability in. I mean, that's even kind of his role with the Jedi, right? Yep. I mean, he does what they tell him to do. We, I think we said this when we were talking with Josiah a few episodes back, but it's that Anakin is an attacher. Yeah. He will attach to people who he finds stability with. His mom, Padme, Qui-Gon's a big one. The Jedi Order and Obi-Wan may give him a healthy thing to, to cling to, but he's certainly going to grab hold of Palpatine when he feels fearful, when he feels like he's out yeah. of control and when he can't protect the people he cares about most. Right. Yeah. Especially because Palpatine is saying like those things that he wants to, to be attached to for the stability or for the whatever he Palpatine's saying, I can show you how to keep these. Yeah. Yeah. Which what's more appealing to, you know, an attacher, somebody who likes to attach to stuff and be like, and, and these will never be taken away from you yes. now. If, if you listen to me, you go, oh, okay, I'll follow you. I'll sell you what's behind door number two, which is immortality and power and all the things that you could possibly love. Oh, wait, there's nothing behind door number two. But you already went in. And it's only going to cost you an arm and a leg. Actually, a few. <laughs> Twice. You know, four payments. On the flip side, the attachment to Luke at the end of Empire, the end of Jedi, it ends up being his salvation. And what he's attaching Completely. to there is actually real, and it's the love of his son. It's interesting, and, and I haven't seen as much of it, so maybe, maybe we will see this, and maybe I'm wrong. You would think with a character like Ahsoka, you could attach to her. 
Maybe it's just because the role is student and teacher, but it's like this is clearly a strong, smart, healthy, emotionally healthy person who you are friends with. Yeah. Man, you'd think that would be a good relationship. The push-pull with Ahsoka is real similar to the push-pull with Luke in terms of why am I the one that needs to change? Mm-hmm. I have, I have control and order over the entire galaxy. You should join me. Um, whereas Ahsoka is saying, "You're super unhealthy. <laughs> you need to come, <laughs> you, know, right. you know, over here." So there, there's. Um, I mean, it's it's not a spoiler to to say that you know by New Hope, it, it might be clear that anything Ahsoka has done hasn't worked. <laughs> so. Right. So what? So, so I mean, sometimes you know you see this in romantic relationships on some TV shows where there's clearly the love that's never embraced. You know, there's always that that tension that's there. The two people care about care about each other, care about each other, care about each other, and that's where the relationship lives. There might be some of that going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, that's uh, Xavier and Magneto. Oh yeah, there's a lot of that going on, don't you think? Um, in in the in, oh yeah, in, as I describe it, I realize that a lot of us haven't seen the Ahsoka Vader portions of Star Wars yet. Um, but one place they could go would be of that sort. Is what does it look like? Xavier would do anything he could to 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 save his friend Magneto from from the anger. And yeah, constantly tries. <laughs> yep. So the, I mean, I'm trying to think of other examples of that kind of story, but that's a, that's a good story. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the best ones I can think of. It's a Saruman Gandalf image there, perhaps, um, which we've mm, talked about mm-hmm. before that there, there might be a lie Gandalf and Ahsoka. Well, on this front, I, I wanted to talk about movies and, and characters who are people who were once enslaved, who are now wrestling. So you brought, brought up, um, Django Unchained. Yeah. That's vengeance, isn't it? I mean, it's, okay, these people did me wrong, and now, well, I suppose he's trying to rescue his bride, yeah? Yes. I, th- I think it is, I think it is both vengeance and freedom. Mm-hmm. I think it is, I think it is the quest for both, obviously, his own freedom, obviously, the freedom of Brumhilda, his, his wife, but then also, I think there's a freedom in the vengeance, you know what I mean, <laughs> blowing up yep. the Calvin Candy Mansion is is a, is definitely freedom because like the the this house these four walls that literally kept you in them mm-hmm. are gone. Mm-hmm. You can't destroy Candyland. We've been here. It's always gonna be in Candyland. <laughs> So it's, it's it's that's definitely a freedom, vengeance, freedom, salvation. I think it's all wrapped up in itself. Lots of forms of slavery we could talk about. Another image of this that came to mind as you were talking was that of Jenny and Forrest Gump. Not a traditional enslaved person, but she clearly grows up in an abusive household that has that element to it. She finally escapes. And that whole movie is, in some ways, what does it look like to rescue the princess, as it were? You have a knight 
who's honorable and a man of great character, can he rescue the beauty? And she's throwing rocks at her house where she was molested, you know? Yeah. I don't know if Logan counts as this kind of character when he's Weapon X, but he eventually gets out, as it were, and becomes a free man. Yeah, well, and he volunteers for that one, too. Yeah. Ah, in d- different versions, I mean, obviously there are d- different comics and different things, but like, it, there, there's more of a like, I have nothing, so I'm gonna go volunteer for this thing, mm-hmm. with him as opposed to being like abducted and forced into it mm-hmm. that you see in like some of the New Mutants stuff. Which, by the way, that just dropped on HBO Max. I didn't know that. Oh. I'm I'm very I'm very curious to check that out. I'll look for that. I'm sure there's lots of these sorts of stories where like. I mean, Mad Max Fury Road has that with Furiosa eventually, you know, killing her abuser. Yeah. Feels like there's lots of stories of that sort. I'm going to I'm going to go and I'm just going to blow up everything that this wicked person owns. Kind of vengeance. To to take it that way, a film that just came out that was called Promising Young Woman with Carrie Mulligan mm-hmm. is is phenomenal. It's it's about very, I mean, difficult movie to watch, but I would say a, a very important movie to watch, especially right now. It's about a woman who endures some abuse and brings it to the attention of the university she attends, and it gets swept under the rug. Mm. And then the rest of the movie is her going back to this, going back to to that space and just enacting vengeance on the kinds of people who who are like the person who did that yep. to her. Yep, yep. It's a, it's a, it is a hell of a movie. I, I believe the woman who wrote it and directed it, uh, Emerald Fennel, I think is her name, and I believe she just won an Academy Award. Mm. She also played Camilla on season four of The Crown. So, Bang. Talk about a family that uh, their abuse puts people in slavery, also the royal family. <laughs> I have no opinions about this, but... I think you could make that argument with, with somebody like Diana. I think yeah. you could argue that oh, they've, they've felt... Yeah. She was, I hate to say, enslaved because obviously not nece- maybe not necessarily, but in but trapped and and kind of forced into. Same with I guess you could say with with uh, Meghan Markle. I mean, I I've only heard some a, feeling trapped in there. Yeah, I've only heard a little bit of what she said recently, but that sure sounds like what her experience of that is. Yeah, but it all comes back to the crown, man. That vengeance once you get your powers and go back home. I mean, that's a, that's kind of Magneto's story in that first class just a great scene yeah. when he hunts when he starts hunting down nazis that's um has some powerful stuff yeah same with like an inglorious bastards right where you have this this group of a lot of them i believe were jewish guys yeah. killing nazis yeah, yeah. my name is lieutenant aldo rain and i'm putting together a special team and i need me eight soldiers eight jewish american soldiers we're going to be dropped into France, dressed as civilians. And once we're in enemy territory, as a bushwhacking guerrilla army, we're going to be doing one thing and one thing only. Killing Nazis. They're the foot soldiers of a Jew-hating, mass-murdering maniac, and they need to be destroyed. That's why any and every bitch we find wearing a Nazi uniform, they're going to die. I suppose on... 
not not the same front, but uh, if enslaved equals imprisoned, there's a there's a great scene at the end of Silence of the Lambs <laughs> where where he has an old friend for dinner. He does. Uh, the last one that I could think of was it, it really is part of the story is uh, Conan. Conan grows up a, a slave, in you know is in the fighting pits as it were, and what does it look like to grow up after after you escape? Went on to host one of the best talk late night talk shows <laughs> I can think of. Several different iterations and now a great podcast. Is that who you're talking about? I'm sure that that joke has been made, but I haven't put those together. <laughs> I mean, it has, but yeah. I, which which Conan are you partial to? The original, the original or one? the... Yeah. Uh, Schwarzenegger and it's of all things, it's directed by the guy who did Platoon and W in Wall Street. Oliver Stone? He, di- he directed uh, Conan the Barbarian. I did not know that. The soundtrack soundtrack to that movie is incredible the acting i think is really great james earl jones the the main actress who's is just stellar the sidekick is stellar i mean it's 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 an 80s movie uh, but there's a i want to rewatch that now knowing that it was oliver stone yeah. who directed it that makes me want to go back to it um i think there it misses sometimes, but I think there's a lot to like in that movie, especially compared to other things, you know. I mean, if you put it up quality-wise against all the Star Treks, it's certainly better than half the Star Treks we got. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than the uh, the even Star the uh, the odd Star Treks are not great, and the evens are good. It. It's like, and Beethoven's the opposite. Um, okay, so. The <laughs> Hey, that's true. <laughs> Stay away from that fourth symphony, man. Yeah. You know what? This is how apparently uncultured I am. When you said that, I thought you meant the films <laughs> with the dog. Like, that's true. The first one is a high-quality movie. The second one is okay. <laughs> uh, this is going to be a long podcast already. <laughs> Very tired. <laughs> Well, this might be a two-parter. Uh, we're kind of a, that's a good place to end. Talking Anakin and slavery, the heart of Star Wars right here. Uh, you got anything else before we sign off? No, I think I think we've covered it. Hey, friends, as with all podcasts, this one's only going to survive if you share it with passion to those you love who love a galaxy far, far away. You can find the binge list online, and you can share your thoughts with us on the Twitter. You got any last thoughts, Daniel? I'll just say, for for an arc I really knew nothing about, I'm pleasantly surprised and very interested to keep going into this. He's in your mother shed. Well, as many of you good people may remember, I was a hateful man. <laughs> you have led a horrifying <laughs> life. <laughs> and I'm Jeff Cook. Don't worry, I'll keep an eye on him. And you want to know why, Daniel? Because this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Why is he so upset?
listening to the Grand Army of the Republic broadcast, the voice of the Outer Rim. This next one goes out to the mutt jumpers of the 224th, slugging it out on Mimbum. Keep your heads down and your seals tight.